And this is, a, this is an interesting thing because uh, I was really moved this week a little different direction. And I guess different people would receive this different ways, but I have some questions for you. How do you defend your faith? How do you defend? How do you defend your faith? Do you defend your faith? I guess ultimately the question ends up being, have you ever truly been challenged regarding your faith in Christ? Have you ever been, if you haven't, let's say the answer is no, I can't really remember a time where I've ever been challenged. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why you haven't been challenged in your faith? Why haven't you truly been tested in battle? You know, you can't be tested in battle without ever engaging in combat. Then if you're facing combat, are you prepared for combat? What if you get called out like Paul, the Apostle Paul? We're going to talk about that in a second. Are you prepared for combat? Are you even prepared for combat? And then what if you get called out like Paul? What if your life before getting called out, before crashing into Christ, didn't look anything like anyone good? What if the before and after picture was so dramatic that someone looking at you saying, wow, uh, there's no way you could be a Christian. You Christians are supposed to be so good, so holy, so righteous, so perfect. But what if? What if your life before crashing into Christ didn't look like anybody good? So how does Paul, remember we're in, we're in 1 Corinthians and, and we're close to wrapping 1 Corinthians up, then we'll do 2 Corinthians, and then uh, we're going to do Thessalonians. How does Paul defend his apostleship? Let's reflect on what we know about Paul. What, what was Paul before he was transformed? Well, he still was a Pharisee. As a lot of people say he was a Pharisee, but he is a Pharisee. Even at this point, he's still a Pharisee. He's a Jew's Jew. That's the biggest mistake people make about um, Christianity and Judaism, uh, the, the Jew who crashed into Christ, who experienced Christ, and was forever changed and embraced uh, Hamashiach as, you know, he, he is the Messiah. They're still Jews. They didn't stop being Jews. And many of the people that were converted were Jews and remained Jews. They were followers of the way, uh, they believed that prophecy was fulfilled, but they didn't stop being Jews. That's the biggest mistake that people make. And he still was a Pharisee. Uh, he still was very observant, uh, you know, very, very particular in many ways, but the crashing into Christ changed him, yes. Yes, they, they were... Yeah, they were observant, uh, just like, and, and the, and the uh, disciples were as well. Well, it's, you are correct. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. So the apostle, yeah, the Jews have guilt too. The Apostle Paul was freely serving Yeshua Hamashiach as his emissary. He saw Yeshua Hamashiach as the Im and the impact of that meeting is being, and we can't argue with this, this is fact. Can we not agree that Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Pharisee, the holder of the coats, the encourager of the stoning of Stephen, he, he crashed into Christ. And that meeting, that collision, is impacting all of us right here even today. 
We, it's inarguable. I mean, it's just fact. We have to, we have to look at that. And I, and, I, and I say to people a lot of times, I say, what I want you to do is think about in history, and I always leave it, you know, ambiguous. In history, what is the most, who is the most powerful influencer of people, and, and, in, and I always try to say in modern times, that you can ever think of? I don't say who Christ-wise, who, 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 you know, secular or Christian. I just, I just want, who do you think comes to your head? What are some of the people pops in your head? Don't think too hard about it. Satan. Jesus could be. And it, Hitler, very powerful. Billy Graham. Yeah. Greg Laurie. I think Greg Laurie has a reach and an impact that he's reaching people now that his, his ministry is just exploding. Uh, what's that? Oh, my goodness. Google him when you get home. What a preacher. Uh, what a humble, humble preacher. Um, you know, Rick. Come on, everybody knows that last name. Rick Warren. Even though, even though we have serious issues with Rick Warren, um, it, it's, it can't be argued that he hasn't influenced us greatly. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. I believe for Joel Osteen. Uh, Jonathan Kahn, major, major influencer. Many people would say Glenn Beck, major influencer. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, amazing, amazing influence. People don't realize the reach that Rush Limbaugh has, the power and impact that he has. Um, but Ravi Zacharias, amazing, absolutely amazing. Barack Obama, in her stupidity, Nancy Pelosi, she, she is, on the outside, appears to be dumb as a box of rocks. Reality of it is, she knows exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly what she's doing. Harry Reid, there's 300-plus bills that have never been brought uh, to the floor. You have to, you have to look at what will we find when he steps down in January, and his successor takes over. What will we find? Will we find all the W's removed from the keyboards in the White House? Will we find $1.8 million in damage to the White House, the people's house? When the Clintons left the White House, there was $1.8 million in damage left, purposely, not accidentally, purposely left. What will we find? <laughs> I wish we could. So, so we, we have to accept certain facts. We have to look at certain things and say, okay, this we know is, is factual. Um, we know that Paul, his crashing into Christ, had such a dramatic impact on Paul, but also on all of us. The impact on him was so great and he yielded to it so completely, no matter what. I have sayings. Uh, somebody says, well, I, I tried this or that, and it didn't work. How long did you try it? Well, I, I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. How long? One time. Maybe twice. No, you, you try it until. If, if you've got to improve your life, you read the Scriptures until they become part of every fiber of your being until they impact you. If, you. if you have to improve your life, you, you go to seminars until it gets into your body, uh, until, into, in, until it gets into your mind. If you need to improve your education, you say, well, I'm, I'm lacking in a certain area because I don't have a certain education, uh, and you, then go get that education and stay in it and, and do great until you've completed that journey. Do it until Read until, pray until. We're told one of Jill and John's uh, sayings that I, that I picked up on as soon as I met them is that we're to work until he comes. We don't give it a try and see how it goes. We work until. We keep going until. And once Paul crashed into Christ, he said, I will work until I die for him, no matter the cost. I asked you a series of questions. 
And they're tough questions because in the modern society, remember I talk about the way I give an invitation is very, very different. I don't tell everybody to close their eyes. I don't tell everybody nothing against that type of invitation. I don't tell everybody to close their eyes. Christians be praying. Those around, those say the saints be praying. All that. I, don't, I just don't do it. I just don't do it. I, one thing I say is, listen, if you, if you need to come to Christ, if you know that, that nudging and that gnawing inside of you right now is such that you know that you need to unhinge your feet from that floor and move forward. Don't ignore all else of what you see except for the tears streaming down the other Christians' faces who've been praying for you. If you're a stranger in here tonight, this is your first time in here, today or tonight, whatever time of day that I'm preaching, if you're a stranger and no one else knows you, I guarantee you, someone, they don't know your story, but when they when they turn and they look at you and they see you moving forward and they see the tears streaming down your face and they see you walking forward, coming forward doesn't save you at all. But it's not going to be a comfortable journey for you once you place your faith in Christ. You look at this past week, Pastor Corey, at the Sunday gathering, which was wonderful, uh, and then also on my show, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible thing for a Palestinian to come to Christ. It's a terrible, terrible thing for an Arab to turn away from all of what swirls around them faith-wise to placing their faith in Christ and following Christ. One thing we know is when they commit, you got something now because they know the cost is death. How many of you were listening this past week or listened on the podcast and you heard when I asked him, I asked him a two-part question. I said, you know, where have you been in the world that you are just so encouraged? And you say, man, there's revival here. And he named off some places. And I said, on the flip side of that, I hate to ask the negative last, but where have you gone in the world that you feel has fallen away from God, that's going dark to God? And he paused for a moment, and he said, it hurts my heart. And I mean no disrespect, Dr. Sean, but America. You couldn't see it, but I was in tears. Tears were just streaming down my face because I knew the answer. I knew the answer, and I hated, to, I hated to ask him because I knew for him, he has so many supporters in America, so many people that, that support, faithfully support his mission, and yet he has to tell the truth that when I come here, I, I experience darkness. I find darkness. I see... Uh, I see struggle, I see pain, I see sorrow, I see, I see people turned away, I see a, no more boldness. He used that term a lot, boldness. I don't see the boldness in Christ followers now. I don't see them standing for what is right. I don't see them being as Paul, knowing the risk. Can you imagine Paul going into a room with the other disciples? They knew what role he played in the persecution of Christians. But what they didn't know, what they couldn't have known, is the power and the impact, the historical impact that a collision with Christ had on Paul. A lot of people have a lot to say about, my goodness, how dare the disciples question Paul? How dare they? How could they do such a thing? How rude that they would question Paul. You know, here's the thing. This is the crazy thing about it. This is the thing... The conundrum, if you will. If you think about it, uh, Christianity, uh, Western evangelical, the Western evangelical expression of Christianity, you have a whole side, uh, a, a very big side that's de-Jewing Christianity. That their effort is to whitewash the Hebrew nature and culture and worldview from our faith, the traditions. You said, uh, rightly so, I might say, Bill, 
Uh, and Wes rightly so answered twice that, yes, those observances, we were never expected to stop observing those things. Those things don't draw us from God. They draw us to God. The feasts and the observances, uh, the satyrs, these things are so powerful. If you could know the gratitude that's expressed even in the picayune things that we as Americans, the Western evangelicals, we look right past and we say there's a concerted effort. It's the reason I don't use the, the King James Version Bible. There'll be people listening to this podcast that will say, oh, he's against the KJV. Uh, I had a lady uh, that I engaged with for whatever reason on God and Country uh, show page, the Facebook page, that she, she said, well, that sounds like right-wing extremists and all that stuff. I'm not going to listen to your show. Well, I thought to myself, well, why did you sign up to get updates? I'm not quite sure. I don't know how that works. Uh, and then I had a conversation with her publicly, and I also had one with her privately just explaining, give it a shot. Let me know what you think. See how it feels to you. I don't know who she is, um, you know, but I said, don't, don't make your judgment before you've, you've experienced it. So all that said to say this, that there is a whole faction within Western evangelical Christendom that especially in pastors and, and to a great degree in seminaries all across this country that say, hey, those disciples were wrong to question the power and impact that God had through his son Jesus on another human being. It's confusing to you because you've been under my teaching for all this time and you understand the thinking. We flipped the thinking. We flipped it upside down. How we should be thinking isn't how we've been thinking. Not this group, but in general, the larger group. There are many people within seminaries and, and great theologians and all say, how dare they question Paul because they de-Jew Paul in their mind, in their paradigm. They've taken the Jewishness out of Paul. They've taken the observances. They've taken all these things. They take all those things out of Paul and they say, wow, how dare they? How dare they question him? When in fact the reality of it is, is that would be like Hussein Obama walking in that door right now and him saying, hey, I'm here to join your little group. You know, I just want to see what y'all are doing. It's so cool. It's so wonderful. Hey, where's the chicken? Michelle's not with me. I can have chicken. Uh, you know, he's, he could come in. Uh, yeah, she really strongly guards his diet. She's against chicken. Except for her, fried chicken. You didn't hear that big thing? You didn't hear that big thing? She came out against fried chicken, and then she had a big party. <laughs> the main meal was fried. The main thing was fried chicken. She, she is a hypocrite. But So if he walked in here, you know, and, and, and it's inarguable that he's the, he's the most anti-Christian, anti-Jew administration we've ever had in this country. So if he walked in, we would rightfully be suspicious of him. Well, how could you be suspicious of the president of the United States? My goodness, there's a level of respect accorded to him. Well, why would we be suspicious of a Pharisee's Pharisee, a Jew's Jew? Paul walks into these rooms and says, here I am. I understand you being suspicious, but this is what happened to me. So he had to defend his apostleship. So he's freely serving Yeshua Hamashiach. He, he, he says, I am the emissary of Christ. Now, uh, I said this fast, and I shouldn't have said it as fast, but I'm, I'm glad I did because it gives me a chance to go back to it. He saw Yeshua Hamashiach. He saw him. How changed would we be if we saw Jesus? I would even say, I, then, obviously, if we were there, that, that would be one thing. But now, now the chasm of believing in the supernatural is so great. We say, oh, we know so much more now. We know the power and impact. Yes, sir. Who are they? Mother Teresa. left a life of privilege to be a pauper and to sleep on the floor. What, who are some others? Who, who are others that we can look to? 
Billy Graham, great example. Ravi Zacharias, another great example. Yeah. Yeah. Not just because Doyle's in the room, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some, one of the most unsung heroes, two of the most unsung heroes. One is gone and one is still here. Uh, Elmer Towns, Dr. Elmer Towns, co-founder of Liberty University, and Dr. Jerry Falwell. You know, most people think that Jerry Falwell founded that university by himself, but they didn't. Elmer Towns, Jerry would go receive God on a mountain, and God would give him a vision, and then he'd turn to Elmer and say, Elmer, let's make this happen. <laughs> and Elmer would say, well, okay. <laughs> you know, and then it happened. And, and my son and countless tens of thousands of others are living proof that this vision that this man was given has been brought to fruition, and much of it supernatural. So we have examples of that, but these people, as far as we know, have always been on our team, right? They've always been on our team, as long as we've known of Jerry Falwell. Now, uh, the reason I say unsung heroes, Jerry Falwell, in general media, you'd have thought was Satan himself. Right, the way, the way that they talked about this man, that it was okay to talk about it, and, and a lot of Christians would say, well, you know, he's put himself out there. What are you going to do? He's out there. He's, he did it to himself, kind of, you know. And I'm going to talk more about this on the radio show tomorrow, but, but I'm going to say this to you all because you all are friends, and only I don't know how many thousands of people will download this in that 24-hour period. So it's just between us and a few thousand other people. Listen, Ted Cruz should cross your lips in prayer throughout the day, every day. But when you close your eyes at night, his name and his family and the protection of his heart, his heart for who he is, his heart for the Constitution, his heart for this country, should, I'm telling you, this man, he is our Jefferson. He is our Washington. Glenn Beck asked the question several years ago, who will be our George Washington? His name is Ted Cruz. For me, I don't care that he can't run for president. Uh, I don't think he's any less qualified. Dual citizenship. He has Canadian citizenship and uh, U.S. citizenship. He has renounced his Canadian citizenship, but there's a whole big technicality to that. That The fact is, is, you know, Obama's fake citizenship was enough constitutionally for some to, that he could run. But I don't care that he can't. I, I, I don't care. I know that this man is serving the will of God in his life. I know that he spends hours a day in prayer. I also know that he understands the Constitution better than most other people there in Washington, D.C. He is, he is our George Washington. He, he, he is our Thomas Jefferson. He is our Ronald Reagan. U.S. and Canada, yeah. He's, re, he's renounced his Canadian citizenship, though. <laughs> they need help, too. But we need him for here. So my, my point in all this is, is that, uh, you know, we do have examples. You gave great examples. We have great examples of people who are doing it, who are out there on the front lines. And we say, I said a moment ago about Jerry Falwell. You know, Jerry Falwell, uh, there were protesters at his funeral. There were tens of thousands of people there. It was one of the most amazing funerals, memorial services you'd ever see in your lifetime, a testament to a guy who said, no matter what, God, you tell me, no matter what you tell me, I'm going to do it or I'll die trying. I've said many times, Napoleon, I have a saying, I'm going to burn the ships. I'm going to burn the ships. I'm going to give this radio thing a try and I'm going to burn the ships. Burn the ships is related to Napoleon. When Napoleon and his men would land on an island or some, some foreign land, 
that he intended to conquer. My business here is I'm going to conquer you. He would instruct his men upon offloading the ships, burn the ships. We will conquer this land or we'll die trying, but we, we, we shall not retreat. Folks, the chicken and the egg, or the chicken and the pig, they're both involved in breakfast, right? The egg, the pig, both, they're both involved in breakfast. But I would say to you, the pig is committed. Because the pig has to give his life for breakfast. The chicken only has to give an egg. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have examples of Napoleon-like commitment. I would say to you, you look at Ted Cruz, you say, what is this? The collision of faith and politics. It has everything. One cannot be. They are inexorably linked together. You say, what's that have to do with Paul? Paul got a mission from God. Well, yeah, well, 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 well but see, that's, the thing is, is God's never put scales over my eyes. He hasn't. God's never knocked me down on the ground and made me wrestle him with him, like the big wrestling match in the Bible. Uh, and he wouldn't, let, don't let me go. You know, I'm not going to let you go. You know, all these different examples of, well, God didn't do that with me. Really? Oh, so somebody preach it. You better hope he doesn't. Let's do what he says to do before he has to grab us by the torso and throw us to the ground and, and wiggle us around. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he has said, you know, he's being questioned here, and he, he said, I've been called by the Lord, and it's only to the Lord that Paul feels accountable. A lot of us don't do what we're called to do because we feel an obligation not only to God but to those around us. Somebody listened to my show this week. They wrote me the nicest letter. Uh, it was so touching. I meant to bring it. I meant to print it out and read it to you. But the gist of the letter is I've never heard anyone. This is not patting myself on the back. But I've never heard anyone actually speak not caring what the people that are in opposition of him have to say. And I don't care. I don't care. I don't care on the conservative side who gets angry. I don't care who on the liberal side gets angry. And I darn sure don't care if the Muslims get. I don't care. I don't care. Some would say, you know, they're going to come after you. So be it. I have lots of rounds of ammunition with their name on it. Whichever one is next, I'm glad to use it on them. I have no reluctance in that regard. I just don't. I don't have a death wish. But what I'll, what I'll say to you is this. is Paul was clear. Who called me. That person that called me is to whom I am accountable. He was clear on who he called or who called him. He was clear on what his mission is. The, my ministry is called Worship and Serve Ministries. People ask me all the time, what, what, why is it called that? Um, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We trust Jesus by, we worship him, we trust him he's going to handle everything, and we obey by doing exactly what he tells us to do. It's that simple, worship and serve. Worship and serve. Paul was given a mission. Paul walked into a bunch of people who would have been justified by taking a sword and chopping off his head. They would have been justified. I have no beef with them when they were suspicious. What amazes me is the power of God through Christ that acted upon those other men and women in the room to say, can we trust this guy? He clearly has met Yeshua. It was a rocky road sometimes. They disagreed sometimes. That's okay. I'll tell you, my biggest problem with conservatives in this country is that conservatives in this country, they are a circular firing squad. But do you know who else is? Christians. Let me tell you the difference in a synagogue or a temple 
with a, a, a totally Jewish congregation and a Christian church. The Christian church will turn on each other. There's all kinds of fighting. Which is not to say that the Jews won't bicker a little bit here and there. They, they kibitz all the time. It's, it's, it's back and forth and back and forth. That's how everything is in the Jewish culture. When my teachers uh, in, in my classes, world-renowned people, world-renowned, they say, if you don't argue with me, I have to assume you're not listening. If you don't question me, I have to assume you're too dumb to take this class. I want you to question me. I want to have spirited debate because in that spirited debate, we find that common ground and we link our learning in so that it's not just memorized information, but it's a way of living. It's a life. So, but in the, in the synagogue and in, in the church, they, listen, the worst thing you can do is to go into a Jewish neighborhood and think you're going to commit a crime and not be held accountable. Oh, God help you. God help you. They'll find you. Listen, who knows that when they found the terrorists that, that did those awful, awful things just recently over in Israel, that Bibi Netanyahu gave the order himself, burn their houses to the ground. That's an ancient response, a he, an ancient Hebrew response. And that man took so much grief by people in our country and leadership of our country saying, oh, what a horrible, awful thing. You are a barbarian. I say to them, so be it. Switch places for a little while. Go live next door. Answer to the families that the heads have just been cut off in a public square in broad daylight. What they do? Yeah. Yeah, and you can thank, I, I said his name already countless times, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, leading the charge. Leading the charge. Michelle Bachman, leading the charge. Yes. Study, study Bibi Netanyahu sometimes. Study his history, his personal history, his biography sometime. You will be amazed MIT, you know, summa cum laude graduate, absolutely a brilliant, brilliant man, a, a fighter's fighter, you know? Difference in leadership. There's a vacuum in leadership here. So Paul was called. Paul knew who he was called. So I, I want you to understand that Paul had a complete and total understanding and dedication and commitment. He burnt the ships. This other, this other way of, uh, you know, participating in the killing of Christians was gone in his mind. He understood that if he walked into a room with a bunch of disciples or followers of Christ, he might die. So in my invitation, when I don't tell people, close your eyes, Christians, nobody looking around, you know, look down, don't look out of the corner of your eye, you know, all that mess. I tell them, look around. Look around you and feel the need of Christ in the hearts of those around you. And maybe you need look no further than yourself. Because if you're embarrassed because of somebody looking at you, listen, there's no warmer audience than a church of people that are praying through tears, Father, move on the hearts of those around me. You might be praying, Father, move on the heart of my husband. Change his heart. Father, move on the heart of my wife, my children, my friend who I, works with me that I know stops off at the bar every day. Move in the heart of that person I know has an illness right now that could claim their life. Praying. There's no warmer audience than that. Paul didn't walk into that audience. Paul walked into an audience that was suspicious of him to the core, and he didn't care. He didn't care because he knew who called him. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. Paul knew it without question. There was a lot of, uh, you know, 
whenever something is new, there's always a lot of challenge. In the newness of challenge, in the newness of something, there's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of, how are we going to do this? Or how are we going to do that? There needs to be a policy. There needs to be a this. There needs to be a that. All these things. So there's new stuff. And in the Messianic church, there were a lot of challenges there too. It was, it was very reasonable that they would have challenges. For whatever reason, we think in the modern Western evangelical church, we're not going to have challenges. We're absolutely going to have challenges. And Paul took on upon himself a tremendous amount of risk by stepping out front and saying, I'm going to lead. I'm going to travel church to church wherever God sends me. I'll go. There was a lot of question about, you know, well, how did he do? He was a tent maker. You guys know he was a tent maker. He made not just tents. He made all kinds of things. But that was how he made his living. Well, now he's committed to do this thing. You can't hold down a nine-to-five while helping to found the very church that we experience in this country today. We can't look very much past Paul without acknowledging his impact on us. What we're doing right here, right now. The early church, the Kehala, was more like this than it was what you see in these big churches. I'm not against big churches. We were in a, a beautiful church. I've never been in the auditorium, in the sanctuary at a Bible fellowship. What a wonderful, wonderful building. Beautiful place. Just lovely. Yeah. Yeah, really, really beautiful. Really nice. Um, and then we talked about the soldier. You know, Paul talked about, you know, the soldier receives payment for what he does. Uh, the shepherd receives milk from the flock. Farmer receives food and sustenance, all these things. And then he, he accounts as Moshe or Moses recorded in the Torah. You are not to put a muzzle on an ox when it's treading out the grain. God cares even about the cattle. So much more he cares for those who he created in his own image. The one who works for the kingdom should receive as the farmer a share of the crop. Even those who work in the temple deserve some of the temple food. Giving all that, isn't it right? Having met the Lord in the spirit and having been called by the Lord personally, he is right to call himself an apostle. We beat that to death. The key point of that point that I really want you to get is Paul knew who called him. Paul knew to whom he was accountable. He had no question in his mind. I am called by Hamashiach, and it is unto his service I will live or I will give my life. Either way, I lay it bare for God to use. It is very, very difficult. That's why I say look at Ted Cruz. Look at Sarah Palin. Look at uh, Louis Gohmert, a man of great faith. Look at Michelle Bachman, a woman of great faith. They're clear on who they serve. Ted Cruz took a lot of, lot of heat because he answered a question one time when he's a true freshman, a true freshman uh, senator. You know, what motivated you to become a senator. What motivated? Because he was a very successful guy. He said, I heard the call from God. And they laughed at him. Uh, of all, you know, obviously the beacon of best intent and literary uh, purity, Playboy magazine made a mockery of him. The cartoons and I heard from God, you know, and be a senator, you know, and he didn't care. And then, and then a few weeks later, he was quoted as saying, after he did his long, uh, uh, his filibuster, and he said, man, you lost a lot of friends today in Washington, and your, a lot of your colleagues are no longer your friends. He said, I didn't come to Washington to make friends. I came to serve the people of Texas and the Constitution of these United States. When you know who called you, 
and you know to whom you're accountable, you'll have greater faith in performing the service that you were called to. One of the things I'm going to... What's that? You'll have a background. You'll have a cornerstone, a backbone, a backbone and a cornerstone, which you can look back and say, this is why I'm going through this. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Walking in the steps of the Emmaus walk, if you will. Um, I would say that David Barton, as a free service to uh, the country, offers to every freshman uh, congressperson a free spiritual tour, a personally guided spiritual tour of Washington, D.C. His, uh, he's the man for the job. So he's off, he offers that to every single new, you know, Listen, I'll, I'll show you the underpinnings of our faith in a way you'll never forget. Um, so I would think there's a lot of value in that. There's a lot of power in that. And, and we all, when every time we pick up our Bible, every time we say, you know, this is my, this is my Bible. This is God's Word. I believe this Word. And I, I serve the God who authored this book. Every time we re revisit that, every time we read the Scriptures, every time we do a Bible study and we improve our knowledge uh, in what we're doing here, we're revisiting that cornerstone. We're remembering to whom we are accountable. We're realizing the benefit of citizenship in the kingdom. So many people focus in today's society uh, more in the uh, charismata than I think in others, but we, we think that the only benefit, and I say air quotes, benefit of membership and citizenship in the kingdom is the blessings, the, the stuff, the healing, the uh, provision, you know, the physical things, the manifestations, but we're wrong. God has chosen many great men and women to be the sufferer, the martyr, the, the one who bears pain and sorrow and suffering and still the eyes turn to heaven, just like Jesus there are many citizens of the kingdom who don't get to reap what we believe are the blessings, but we're wrong. We are wrong. One day the suffering will stop. Imagine at the other side. How about these children, folks? These little children in what used to be Iraq and Syria being beheaded. They asked them. It's on tape. There's videos of this. And translated... Do you believe in Jesus? Renounce Jesus now. Embrace Muhammad now, or we will kill you. No, we love Jesus. We serve Jesus. And off with their head. That's real. That's real, and it's happening in our world today. You can't approach all of this with the attitude that, well, 
If God loves me, he'll bless me. If God loves me, he'll heal me. If I'm truly a citizen, if I'm a child of the king, uh, a child of the most high, I'll have the stuff that I want in order to move forward. I'll have the voice that I want if I want to sing. I'll have the artistic talent to draw and paint if I want to draw and paint. I'll have the, uh, the, the, you know, the orator skills, the, the leadership skills, whatever the case may be. I'll have the home that I'm looking for. I'll have the car that I'm looking for. God loves me. This is what I'll do. That's where we're wrong. We're so wrong in this. Yes, sir? You can't take that message. Let me tell you something. You go to an African country where the average life expectancy is 34 years old. You go into that country and you say, listen, God's going to give you abundance. He's going to give you, he's going to give you. You know what they want? They want a meal. They want food. They want to survive the walk home through the brush and the thicket. Remember I told you the story of the brother and sister that wanted to go hear the Christian preach the brother was killed by a lion, eaten by a lion. The, the sister kept on walking and got to the meeting, placed her faith in Christ, and started to leave. And they said, they, there they call them the, the African, uh, the, the, um, I'm trying to think of the dialect, but in their dialect, sister, where do you go alone in the dark? Why are you here alone? Because they knew a little girl's not, a young girl's not going to travel in the dark by herself. And where, where do you live? And she named her village. And they said, my goodness, where are your people? She said, it, I, it's me. I'm alone. You couldn't have come here alone. She said, I came only partway alone. Well, where's the person you were with? Well, my brother was with me. What happened to him? He got killed by a lion. Where did this happen? She named right about where it was. And they said, my goodness, that's hours ago. That's an hour's walk from here. You kept coming here? Yes. And now you're going to walk home? The obvious thought is that same lion might not have been had his fill. And there may be other lions gathered around. Why do you do this? Because I'm going to take the message of this Jesus to my village. She knew who called her. She knew to whom she was accountable, no matter the price. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Some of the stuff that Paul talks about is the tough stuff, isn't it? Coming to churches, people don't like to hear some of this stuff. What was the abuse of the Lord's table referred to at the end of chapter 11? Folks were consuming the wine and the bread of the holy meal, not in remembrance of Yeshua Hamashiach, rather to gorge themselves on free food and drink. They were selfish, and they were trying to get all they could while pushing others out of the way. The poor did without because the crass and the base group abused the gift of communion that would be like somebody not eating all day long and coming in here and pushing their way through and gathering up, you know, a big giant plate. Not because they were hungry because they, they, had, they, they did without, but because they said, hey, man, free meal. I'm going to get a free meal here. These people make up this nice food. Woo put the feedback on. Paul had to say, look, you know, some of you, I'm understanding, come to church hungry and come to church some of them came to church drunk. They were receiving the holy meal unworthily. And he says plainly, don't come to the communion table hungry because if you do, you might be tempted to abuse the table. I love this, how he says this. But in giving you this next instruction, I do not praise you because when you meet together, it does more harm than good. For in the first place, I hear that when you gather together as a congregation, you divide up into cliques. And to a degree, I believe it, granted that there must be some divisions among you, in order to show who are the ones in the right. Folks, not everybody gets a trophy. Not everybody's right. There are some right. There are some wrong. Thus, when you gather together, it is not to eat a meal of the Lord, because as you eat your meal, each one goes ahead on his own, so that one stays hungry while the other is already drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or are you trying to show your contempt for God's messianic community and embarrass those who are poor? What am I supposed to say to you? 
Am I supposed to praise you? Well, for this, I don't praise you. It's funny, I, I like this. Therefore, whoever eats the Lord's bread and drinks the Lord's cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of desecrating the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself first, and then he may eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For a person who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and some have died. If we would examine ourselves, we would not come under judgment. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you gather together to eat, wait for one another. If someone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it will not result in judgment. As for the other matters, I will instruct you about them when I come. A simple thing. But how many churches refuse to address this simple thing? How many pastors are willing from the pulpit to say, folks, we got some problems up in here. This is how we must address them. And I don't mean looking down at the lady who's never been to church and she comes in and her skirt's a little high. She's not wearing the right kind of shoes. Or the guy that comes in and he, he's, you know, he's still got a drinking problem and he, he's got a forgetting to shower problem for a few weeks now. Maybe the person down the street that has the gas station that's been jipping people for years and everybody's known it and now all of a sudden he's come in the door. He knows the people inside that church don't like him. He knows they're suspicious of him. But he wants some Jesus. Are we going to be the disciples that turn and look at Paul and say, you're a scoundrel? It's your fault Stephen is dead. You were a persecutor of us. We don't trust you. Now, I'm not saying that we trust everybody. Don't get it twisted. But I'm saying to you, if we know to whom we are accountable, if we know who called us to faith, won't we also know that he has, we said in the prior verses that about the cattle treading out the grain, don't muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. And if God cares about the cattle, how much more does he care about us even? But to trust God, there, there was a guy here who was an insurance investigator. Do you guys know that? Remember that guy? Uh, several of us were suspicious of him. We, we determined that he was, when I was going through all my stuff, oh, yeah, the, the black guy? Yeah, he's an insurance investigator. Yeah, he's a pri private investigator from Philadelphia. No, 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 different guy. He came just, uh, it was all by himself. No. He was taking notes, yeah. It was clear that something was up with this brother, and uh, I was able to determine that that's what he was. So we have some level of suspicion. We have some level. Uh, if somebody comes in here yelling, Alu Akbar, right? We're going to see a lot of guns drawn. There are going to be some rounds dispensed. Yeah, there's going to be some boom boom. But, you know, hey, I'm not stupid. Yeah, there's going to be some stuff going down. But the bottom line is, is that when somebody comes in and they don't look the part, you, 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 you watch them and you, you care for them. You see how they receive that care. There's a whole band of people that travel around churches. You, you know this from being a trustee at different churches. I'm sure you've experienced this. Many of you others have experienced this. Uh, and they go and they give a hard luck story. To this church, you know, well, I just need, you know, when I was at uh, Ogletown Baptist Church 20-some years ago, I remember I was, I was the secretary of deacons, and I remember that one of the things I was to do, of course, I was a cop then. They thought cops can see through walls. Uh, you know, I was supposed to kind of figure out, is this person for real or are they not? It, 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 I, I'm telling you, if you could just see how many people were running scams from church to church to church to church.
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Feed feed my people. Right. Right. Yeah. And so there's so there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity we have to serve and bless people, but we turn them away. There's there's preachers that travel around this country that I don't know how they make it. They're not on TBN. They're not on. They're not famous. They don't have you know fancy clothes. But God called them to preach, and they and their little family get up in their vehicle and they travel around church to church and say, "I'd like to preach. I'd like to preach here. Guests pre- preach for you. I, God's called me to preach." Uh, one of my, uh, Dr. Frazier, has always said, don't ever worry about someone calling you to preach. If God wants you to preach somewhere, he'll call you to preach. He'll move those people to call you to preach. He said, I've never, in 35 years of ministry, I've never once had to ask, can I have somewhere to speak? And that was interesting. But there's also that other group of people who have forsaken all comforts of home and said, this is what we're called to do. There's a guy named Daniel... Um, my goodness, he's been to Alliance Church. Daniel, I can't think of his last name. But my aunt and uncle, boy, they, they followed him anywhere around that where he preached. They said, man, this fellow preaches the gospel. He has no education, but he knows the Bible better than anybody I've ever seen. And so there's pe- people like that. And we're to be attentive to those things. But there's also this thing, and, and I'm going to close here in just a few minutes. But I want to, uh, I guess if, if I don't, we'll, we'll solve after are we meeting next week or not. Uh, this next question is, why is the concept of spiritual gifts that they are under the control of the Spirit of the Lord important to an understanding of the doctrine of spiritual gifts? And we use chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians for that. Sometimes the spiritual gifts, there's a gift uh, really of discernment. You ever know somebody that's just got great discernment? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't want to point out to her because she doesn't like it when I call out to her. But so there are some people that have a tremendous gift of discernment. And they can tell a liar 10 miles away. Or a few minutes in the presence of a person, they say, I don't have a good feeling about this person. There are lots of people who have the gift of discernment but don't trust it. There's lots of people who think they have the gift of discernment, and they show don't. And they turn some people away. The people in that church that you fed the chicken to, that devoured the food because they were poor and they were hungry, and they just needed to get to Virginia, you had the discernment. They didn't. And you're some security-conscious folks, so I know for that to have happened in this household. Yeah. Oh, I know. Hard to believe I know. So for that to have happened in this house had to... Yeah. Well, and, and we laugh, but when you know who's called you, look at this house. I mean, we have met in this house for I don't know how long. How long? When did we start meeting here? Can you imagine? These people have turned their home over to us, band of, of super untrustworthy people, obviously, to, you know, be in your home for two years. You've turned your house over to us for two years. Well, that's the thing. You know to whom you're accountable. You know who's called you. You know who you're accountable to. And you say, whatever he says, I'll do. Lots of people in this room have done that. I've heard individual stories of that. It's absolutely amazing. So what I'm saying to you about Paul, and and the next time we meet, whether it's next week or not, uh, what I'm saying to you about Paul is that Paul as a model of, I was wretched before, I'm still wretched now, but for the grace and the beauty 
of the blood of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, I would still be wretched. But I'm raised. I'm imputed righteousness. Yeshua's imputed righteousness is upon me. I know in whom I've believed. I know who's called me. I know to whom I'm accountable. And no matter what he says, I will do.